This is S.G. Brown, author of Breathers, Faded, and Lucky Bastard, and you are listening to Booked. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Sneddon. This week, the much long waited, <laughs> awaited, right? Like, we've been telling people we're going to do this for like over a month, I think. Yeah. Yes. Supernatural Enhancements. It's the only time you'll hear that said correctly, I think, through the course of the show by Edgar Cantero. That's what we're reviewing tonight. Yeah, I finally got around to reading the book, and I think part of it is uh, I, I've been super busy with my work at the um, not-to-be-named large electronics manufacturing company. Um, but I think, Livius, I think you psyched me out a little bit because you were like, man, this is not a one-day read because typically I read a book in one sitting, and that's just the, that's my style. And he kept telling me that, and I'm like, eh, all right, well, you know, I'm, I got to try and stretch it out a little bit and get a little bit done at a time. But I was just always so tired that I didn't even get a chance to start it, and it seemed um, intimidating to start it because I, I was worried it was going to be like more difficult than the average book. I got it done in two settings, dude. That style you have, I think, I think it's called procrastination. I like to consider it endurance reading. <laughs> Either way, I'm a little rusty on this book because I read it a long, long time ago <laughs> and I've read like four books since then. So I'm going to do my best to bring back to recall what uh, what happened in this book. Here's a little bit, a very little bit about the author. Edgar Cantero is a writer and cartoonist from Barcelona working in Catalan, Spanish and English. He was born in 1981. All right. So <laughs> first of all, love the brevity of the bio. When I first saw the bio, and, and looking on Amazon, there's there's not even an author bio. And then if you go to, uh, what's the publisher? I have no idea. Uh, Doubleday, uh, I think. Their website has uh, a, that short bio, but no picture of the author. And I was thinking, I think this is a pseudonym for another art writer. That's my that's my suspicion. It's certainly possible, and Rob brought that to my attention. His notes, <laughs> the notes says... And before we talked about this, I'd pulled up the notes. They said, I'm calling this now. Either this is the best author bio I've ever read or Edgar Cantero is a pseudonym for another author. I missed the word bio somehow in that really long and complicated <laughs> sentence. So I read it as either this is the best author I've ever read or Edgar Cantero is a pseudonym <laughs> for another author. And I mean, obviously, we'll talk about how we felt about the book and. I was like, man, really? <laughs> the best author you've ever read? Ever. <laughs> yeah, I um and my thought after doing some research is just that everything else he has is probably in, in Espanol. And he's done some cartoon stuff, so I don't know what would be in his bio. It would be a lot of things we would mispronounce. Be like that time on Crime Wave when we read Hillary Davidson's nonfiction bio. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what it would be like. We mispronounced Travel Guide several times. <laughs> yeah, but here's a little bit about the book. This is a synopsis that we pulled, I believe, from Amazon, uh, which I should know because I'm the one that found it. Um, but it was that long ago. When 20-something A, just the letter A, the initial A, the European relative of the Wells family inherits a beautiful yet eerie estate set deep in the woods of Point Bless, Virginia, it comes as a surprise to everyone, including A himself. After all, he never knew he had a, quote, second cousin twice removed, unquote, in America, much less that his eccentric relative had recently committed suicide by jumping out of the third floor bedroom window at the same age and in the same way as his father had before him. Together with A's companion, Nev, 
which is spelled N-I-A-M-H, but according <laughs> to the book, that's how you pronounce it. A mute teenage punk girl from Ireland. They arrived in Virginia and quickly come to feel as if they have inherited much more than just a rambling home and an opulent lifestyle. Axton House is haunted. They know it. But the presence of a ghost is just the first of a series of disturbing secrets they slowly uncover. What led to the suicides? What became of the Acton House butler who fled shortly after his master died? What lurks in the garden maze, and what does the basement vault keep? Even more troubling, what of the rumors in town about a mysterious yearly gathering at Acton House on the night of the winter solstice? Winter solstice. And I gave it out at the end there. <laughs> yeah, you were doing so well, too. It occurred to me while you were reading that bio that this book might reveal some other things on a second read through. You think so? Yeah. Huh. You I mean, to... we'll talk about a little bit. There's some complexities in this book and some kind of weird things that happen. Some we won't talk about because they're super spoilery. And I didn't really give it much thought, but as I was listening to you read the bio... Oh, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah, I think that there are other things that we could see in this book if we were to go back and read it again, which isn't going to happen. <laughs> That'll be for our new podcast, Reread. <laughs> Reread. I love it. <laughs> Have I ever talked on the, on the podcast about the guy that um, I worked with who, for some reason, couldn't get in his head that, that the, our podcast was called Booked, <laughs> and he kept thinking it was called Reddit? <laughs> Which now, booked has gotten booked has gotten bigger than we ever ever expected, and we're close to the kind of numbers Reddit pulls in. Um, but Reddit spells it wrong. So every every time I hear that story, I have such deep regret that we didn't think of naming our podcast Reddit. I know it's not too late. It's too late. The the podcast well, formerly known as Booked. Not, you know, knowing our, you know, the history of, of the people that we know, there's probably going to be a new podcast about books by someone else and they're going to call it Reddit. That's, that's, yes, yes, that's possible. All right. On to this book. <laughs> You're listening to Reddit. <laughs> Imitation is a ser- sincerest form of flattery. Flattery, isn't that how it goes? It absolutely is. Does go that way. Is does go that way. Is does. We're both does. really I'm great not, with the I, words for listeners. I'm not feeling particularly sharp this <laughs> evening, so you'll have to forgive me a little bit if I say things like "is does." It definitely is does. All right. So this book is told. Um, I was kind of led to believe a little bit through um and i guess it it really was told in a weird fashion it's told through several forms uh, several mediums and in that um you have uh, diary entries you have letters you have um video and you have audio and i think that about covers it right is there anything else weird that i missed a small amount of newspaper or book oh yeah yeah, yes yes Mm -hmm. lots of book excerpts and like i think one newspaper clipping so uh, it kicks off with A writing in his diary. Um, Can we just clarify as, really quick before you go on? The audio and video is not actually like interactive. It's just transcribed. Oh. Yes, uh, which maybe yeah. is why I didn't think it was actually a different medium. <laughs> it just kept reading. Um, uh, kicks off with A getting to the, the new house, the, the Axton house, which he kind of surprise inherited from a relative he didn't know he had. I know I'm just kind of rehashing um the, the rather long synopsis, but uh, 
yeah, that's it. They get they get to this house, and and he's now wealthy and well off. Um, I don't have any relatives like that because I've made sure I've located each and every relative, and they don't have any money. So, I'm, I'm holding out hope that one day I'll inherit a gigantic, stupid mansion, even if it is haunted. That'd be amazing. You have some criminals in your family. It's possible. Yeah, I've got some. Yeah, 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 and yeah. So maybe you know, secret mansion somewhere. Definitely have a podcast room set up. Kill Mansion. Kill Mansion. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, if you inherit a mansion, I'm not going there. Well, uh, listen, we're pretty close. Can I just have a kill room in your mansion if it's big enough? <laughs> like, it can be all the way at the end. We could soundproof it. Um, I mean, yeah, if there's extra soundproofing left over from the podcast studio room, we, <laughs> can, see, we, can, we can negotiate a kill room. Awesome. And then the guests that we don't like. Kill room. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's it. A and his companion Nev, who is a teenage uh, girl, we get the impression A, a is probably what mid twenties. Yeah, mid to late twenties. Mid to late twenties. This girl is probably, I think, it, it's fifteen, mm-hmm. right? Um, obviously, not a romantic uh, relationship between them. It's unclear. I think at the beginning, at least for me, it was unclear whether they were related or just. You know, uh, friends. Mm-hmm. Um, right? Would you, would, yes. Would you kindly think back to beginning of the book, and if you had a part where you were like, "Wait a minute, Nev is a is a girl." No, I knew. Oh, see, I was probably thirty pages in. I actually <laughs> went back and reread some stuff, trying to see if there was an indicator that I missed, and I, I couldn't find it. Um, it made it might for me. It might have been from the synopsis, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so they're they're dealing with the the odd circumstances of of the death of the person that willed the house to them, and that kind of leads them naturally, kind of in the in the direction of an investigation of not only his death but the causes of it, and just kind of the the weird uh, lore surrounding the house and the people involved with um, Ambrose was the name of the the person who had killed himself. So weird circumstances. First, the butler goes missing pretty much immediately after the uh, after the owner dies. Um, the house is allegedly haunted, as most big, spooky, you know, old houses, uh, I guess, would seem to neighboring people. Um, and, and there's just just kind of a, it, it. They just get a very weird, weird vibe. They they find out about these annual meetings. That would happen. Gatherings, I guess, would be a better word where, you know, a dozen or so people would show up and stay the night. And, you know, they kind of get some of this lore from, uh, you know, local people who live in the in the town. And it's uh, not not too far into the book that the the there's validation that the house is haunted or at least potential validation. Something kind of weird happens to, to a to make him think perhaps the house is haunted. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to point out how vague Livius was about that. Not because we want to protect you from spoiling uh, part of the book, but just because the everything that happens in the book, you're really not sure until everything comes together at the end exactly how important or pivotal it is to the story. And um, the the alleged ghost is definitely one of those things where you're thinking... Mm-hmm. God damn! If there's a ghost in this, that's going to be like the big thing in the book, and you know it may or may not actually be the big thing in the book. I tell you that early on, maybe even halfway into this book, I was totally thinking like Scooby Doo mystery. 
like where at the end it's the missing butler and he pulls off his his ghost right. mask he's like kids. damn kids yeah <laughs> so that's not what happens as you can tell from the way i said it so, which is good but yeah it definitely had that feel because you got like these older white guys all showing up for some kind of weird annual you know ritual or gathering you've got this kind of weird ghost that plays with like the electricity and stuff is what it seems like mm-hmm. and then you've got the you know the, the young people moving into the mansion and like some of the weirdness around the ghost and and the lack of a surety whether it's an actual like a ghost like a haunting or not is 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 tied into uh not long after they get there a starts having these dreams like they're pretty nightmarish but he doesn't in his mind really consider them that way he just considers them as dreams but they're pretty messed up and i'm gonna do my best to kind of talk about so it's essentially like these these dreams kind of happen interspersed throughout um all the other action in the book so he has a dream journal and you'll get some of the dream journal then it'll cut to like um uh he's writing letters back to their uh his aunt right aunt liza mm-hmm um or aunt liza but it's not really ever stated whose aunt liza is and and then the other forms of media too so uh you'll just kind of cut to part of a chapter where it's like a page or two of of the dreams and they're all it's kind of a recurring dream but the perspective sometimes shifts and the the action sometimes shifts around and stuff like that but um it's pretty messed up imagery um i'll read part of it um part of one of them at least this is about 20 percent into the book I hear them laughing at my stolen eyeball in the surgeon's pincers. Optic nerve dangling, interrupted messages of useless pain sparking out the severed end. They laugh at it, so I sit up and grab the surgeon's skull who just pulled my eyeball out and shove his face into a rack of syringes, needles up. I kick him, I kick the general, snatch his gun, execute his fucking skull. I run for the door, blah blah blah. But there's a different part of the same thing where it says, the uber sexy woman in lingerie in a car in a traffic jam in the snow in daylight in scandinavia is wearing magenta blush i'm not moving the rubik's cube i've made up my mind that i don't move it until i know exactly how to solve it so it's kind of all over the place but the 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 main pieces are are consistent and sometimes who's doing what to who changes it's 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 an interesting collection of really freaky dreams i'm sure that the dream journal makes up a small percentage of this book Right. Yeah. But it felt to me like, oh my God, if I have to read about the same goddamn dream one more time. <laughs> I I didn't really feel that way. Yeah, I I have such an issue. And and it is much unlike other dream sequences in stories and or movies. This one is actually inter- integral to the story there is a reason he's having these dreams and there's a correlation, other things that are happening. And it's not just, you know, his kind of the author's lame way to psychologically tell you that a is in this, you know, feeling a certain way about, I mean, there is an actual reason for it. I still think yep. that it was a little, little, little much for my taste. <laughs> I, I, I always forget you have such a distaste for um, dream, dream sequences, but it's kind of the dreams, but more the suspicion of a, of a ghost in existence that, brings about part of some of the the media so it starts out that um nev picks up a, a voice recorder just to see if they can capture the 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 sound of the ghost talking 
Um, and then from there, it goes on to getting some security cameras. So that's when we get to see video footage and stuff like that. So it's the general feeling of trying to get to the bottom of what the hell's going on that kind of adds on the different media as you go along as well. I could talk a little bit since we're on the media. I did feel that it was um, a little forced. So obviously Edgar Cantero set out to to do this book in this way, you know, where he's going to tell it through these different viewpoints using different mediums. But it's like when you watch any of the paranormal activity movies, you know, there's a camera in every room. There's always a good reason to have the cameras there so you don't miss anything. I kind of felt like that about this. Hmm. And I'm not sure who's... The other issue I had with the mediums was I'm not sure how we're getting this. So I'll go back to paranormal activity. I'm assuming that we see all this video because, you know, somebody finds all of it because it's all been recorded, right? And they're investigating a murder or something. So in my mind, I try to justify how, how am I seeing all of this mm-hmm. in this book? Even though there are reasons um, that, that some of this stuff may come into play and, you know, the letters, you could say, oh, well, this is the. Maybe it's A, collecting it all up at the end. Some of these scenes are like the the security camera at the hardware store where they stop to buy some things that, that has no reason to be collected by anybody else. I'm surprised you haven't thought of this. I have my suspicion, but it, it's incredibly spoilery. Oh, should we take this off the air so I can, uh, I can hear this? Yeah. All right. Rob had two theories. One of them I didn't like. The other one I kind of like. So maybe there is a way that we're kind of seeing all of this collected together. I will I will concede that there's a possibility. <laughs> all right. As long as I can at least give you a perspective that's... that's No, and, and I appreciate it because that didn't occur to me at all. Yeah. Well, it's only in conversation that I really picked up theory number two, which is a lot stronger than my theory number one. <laughs> number two, <laughs> always stronger than number one. In everything. All right. Saying. Since we're talking about the media, one of my quotes um, isn't the best example of why it's why it's necessary, <laughs> but it's probably one of my favorite examples of a transcription of a video part of one of the of the thing. And this is sixty six percent of the way into the book. Um, it's a it's it's labeled as kitchen, so this is a kitchen camera and a date and a time, um, and then this is all action. There's no dialogue, so um, when I say ring, it's a phone ringing. And when I say help, there's a dog named Help. Ring. Help diligently trots over to the wall phone. Ring. He stares up at the apparatus, head tilted. Ring. He dismisses the phone, goes to the water bowl. Ring. Lap, lap, lap. No ring. (laughs) I know it's pointless. It didn't need to be in the book, but damn, that was really entertaining. It was. It, it is cute. And and I think that good writers, and I will put Cantero into that category, um, can always do interesting things with, with animals. Sometimes it's just cute, but it's a it's a perspective that you yeah. don't you know that yeah. Yep. All right. Let's introduce the antagonists in the story. We talked about them a little bit. Um there are um, some people that pop up at, at the mansion, as should be expected, um, considering the fact that not all of them have reason to know that Ambrose has passed away. And these people are all kind of, uh, I'm not going to give them a name, but they're they are all the people from the annual gathering that occurs. They're juggalos. 
It's a gathering of the juggalos. It is. It is. Which makes it far more interesting than if it was a bunch of stuffy white guys. <laughs> with names like Curtis and Caleb. You don't get much stuffier than that. Yeah, That's all you no one likes say. a dude named Caleb. No. No. Whose last name has four letters. Yeah. It's stupid. Like, like Ford. Yeah, stupid Caleb's. Yeah, it's um, so, you know, there's a Curtis Knox that shows up who knows that um, Ambrose is dead, but really feels like there should have been something left for him. <laughs> like, he's very inquisitive. Like, you sure you didn't you know, leave anything for me? No, yeah, no, we're pretty titled. sure. Yeah. Are you positive? Because I'm pretty sure he would have left something for me if he died. Like that kind of thing. Yep. Um, and, and you get some other people that, you know, that come by, but they all make... Um, make the whole gathering thing seem even more ominous because very obviously these people are, are after something. And uh, and then there's a break-in that may or may not be committed by the same people. So Yeah, so on top of the uh, creepy ghost situation, you got the creepy people situation. Um, and then and I cannot, I mean, I got to give it up for... Cantero, the dude puts a lot of stuff into the book because on top of what, I mean, you could just take a ghost story and make it a ghost story or you can add on, you know, other elements as well, but there's just this tons of like, um, cryptography and puzzles and stuff that these people have to figure out because in any secret society, of course, they have to be super stupidly nervous about information. So they have these puzzles and stuff that they need to figure out in order to find out what Ambrose did why he did it what was supposed to happen um in the future with these this group of people who was supposed to take over what um so there's i mean there's like pages of like actual like decrypting um like ciphers and stuff like that and and actually almost like a treasure hunt throughout the the house and everything this gigantic mansion of a house so um when they're not when they're not contending with ghosts or um you know, doing dinner with the neighbors and stuff. It's, it's solving puzzles. Yeah. And, and all of the players have, um, pseudonyms and they were all, what were they all like Greek? Oh yeah. Mythology. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's that to contend with. And like Rob, so there's puzzles and there is some, even if somewhat dry, but yeah, actual cryptography where it's four pages of explaining how potentially this cipher could have been made and how a and Nev can maybe break it. Um, and because Nev is mute, it's, it's a dialogue light situation. So it's all very kind of booky at times, you know, there's not a lot of, Rob, let me explain to you how the cipher works. See, you do that. It's a lot of like, oh, here is directly from, you know, Bob Jones manual on cryptography dated 1938. <laughs> That's our next book we're reviewing, by the way. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So a lot of different elements. So you have a ghost, you have a secret society, you have some burglars, you have a ton of puzzles, um, all of it told through six different mediums i think we counted yeah so yeah there is a lot a lot going on in this book at any given time and to be fair for for the a lot of stuff that's going on there are probably we're probably left with a few danglers at the end some things that weren't made very clear or addressed at least to my satisfaction um but the story is does become big enough to warrant 
the all the stuff that's going on, which right. is the the payoff, I guess, is that there there's there is a pretty good reason. And again, it's not the the Scooby Doo you meddling kids. There there is some pretty good stuff that happens. I'm gonna agree. Yeah, I think. Um, as far as I can tell, this is like a first novel, at least a first novel translated in English, and um, pretty damn good uh, story to follow, considering it was it had so much involved in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you ready to do some uh, some quotes, or is there other story stuff we can talk? I don't really think there's much left we can. Yeah, I mean, I think we just need to leave it hanging for the story because there's so mm-hmm. much. A lot of the it's one of those books that like. Um, much like solving a puzzle, the payoff is actually like going through the experience to get the, the reveal. So us talking about it is just going to ruin it. So, yeah, I think quote time is, is a good idea. You got some? Um, I have a few, but I have a feeling that you have a few more. So I'm going to let you kick it off. Right. So the first one I have toward the beginning of the book, this is actually 1% in. Any book randomly opened in a friend's house is good. The same book in a bookstore is bad. When this story is completed, that beginning will turn better. It's like that perspective of like there's something about there's something that that of the about the familiarity of a book or the setting that you find it in might actually make it a more compelling story for you. I thought that was cool. Hey, can I ask you at the very beginning, and you don't have to spoil it for anybody else, but apparently I miss things like Neb being a girl. There's the whole weird thing about a page being torn out and how the first general journal entry starts really weird and stuff they make a big deal of mentioning it before you actually start what is the book right was there some reason you figured out for that or i totally forgot all about it till you mentioned okay. it to be honest see and that's another that's i said either we we could get more from reading this book a second time or there are multiple things that are left dangling like things like that like i thought about it at different times throughout the book that there would be some payoff at the end for that particular introduction oh i have came. a I have a suspicion, and it ties in with my uh, theory number two. Oh, okay. Well, see, if you just say theory number two, then I oh, kind of no. have to shrug and go, yeah, that's probably what it is. Sorry, theory number one. It's, okay. it, it ties in with that, but anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am going to read a uh, first quote, which is from 2% into the book, and it's uh, it's in a letter um, that, that uh, A is writing to Aunt Liza. He's describing the house. Other features, such as the great number of long galleries whose only purpose seems to be the exhibition of curtains, bewilder me. I liked that. I remember that. Mm-hmm. That was probably my favorite line in the whole book. Um, I have a diary excerpt uh, where I think A is reflecting on, on religion because he is not religious, but I believe Nev is. And other people in the book obviously are. Those who believe in the soul fear there is... Those who believe in the soul fear there is might burn in hell. Those who believe in ghosts fear they will be haunted. Those who believe we're not alone end up glancing over their shoulders at all times and despising their unreliable senses. It was just, I think, overall the idea of, of belief and what it does to you. I agree. And I'm going to jump ahead in my quotes um, to one just before Rob gets there because I get the feeling he might um, have this one. And because it kind of ties in with what you just said. Um, A, who is an atheist, again, um, says, I'm actually so atheist that I'm reluctant to use the word spiritual. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I have a quick one. 
a natural mystery and reason to face it make the happiest combination of all. I like that. Like, I like when I have to, like, be a detective and get to the bottom of something. I, I actually remember that quote, and I'm surprised that I don't have it marked um, in the book, which could also be, I think, now that I actually think about it, I think I was reading it on my phone and on my Kindle, and for some reason my notes don't transfer when I do that, right. which I know they should, but I have some kind of, I don't know. Okay. All right. My, uh, maybe my third and final quote, I don't know. I believe this is, sorry, um, this is from A's Diary. This is rather long, so this makes up for the missing quotes. I won't pretend it felt better just by driving away from the house. That would be like crediting the house with some sort of unnatural power, as if it were a dark spot on the surface of the earth. It is not. I checked as we sped between the crop fields, a crest of yellow dust on our tail. There is no dark aura around Axton House, no permanent storm brewing in its general direction. There was a storm lingering about, but that was probably yesterday's rain on its way off. Axton House is just a house, a beautiful cliche at best. It cannot pretend to be the source of all evil. He's good. I like the way I, I, I like. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. He's a he's a very solid writer. My questions come more in his choice of you know using multiple mediums and some of the other things. But <laughs> the thing I liked about that is that in most other um, books that I've read that that concern you know a dubious house, it, it always has the dark aura around it. You can just feel something bad coming up to you know. And this is just like sure. yeah, no man, it's just a house. Regardless of all the weird shit that has happened to them at that point, he's still saying, just looks like a house. Like, you know. Yeah, for sure. Which actually, like, if you think of the overall, like, outcome of the book, that's such an awesome, like, thing to put in there because of your perspective at the end. It, it, it's cool. Um, this is a, a quote, again, from A's Diary. Apparently that's, for me, the most interesting part of the book. Uh, he's talking about a book that had some secret... Uh, inserted into it uh, that they figured out while they were away from the house and they rushed home to go and, 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 and get into it. So he mentions the name of the book and he says, This we found out in the catalog immediately after a wordless drive home and a straight march through the front door and into the library, all three of us in our dripping coats. No, all four of us in our dripping coats. Help was there too. And I thought that was funny because help has a coat of fur. So, dripping coats. Anyway. I like the cheap humor sometimes. The last thing I, uh, the last thing I'm, I had marked in here isn't even so much a quote, but it's 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 the actual use of the the title of the book. And uh, this will be more interesting for Rob and anybody else who may have read this, you know. But it's the part where he actually says a house with supernatural enhancements, mm -hmm. right? Which is about the time that I got what he was referring to and the title of the book. Kind of all came together right there, seventeen percent of the way in. <laughs> but I totally didn't get it as they were talking leading up to that statement. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I was the same way. Do you have more quotes? Nope. So there's actually a lot of talk in the book. Uh, a is a big fan of the X Files, and uh, <laughs> the funny thing is, at one point in the book, he actually sees a therapist, and it's in her notes that he is an X Files fan. So that was pretty funny. Um, there is a uh, video recording part of the book where uh, it's A and Nev in the same room, and, and Nev is watching ER, and this is A's aud audible. Like, this is what A says. Oh, come on. X-Files is so much better than this. 
Scully is in love with Mulder, and we don't need piano music scenes to know. It's just there. It's in the way she says, Mulder, you're out of your mind. Her eyes are saying, I'd fuck the soul out of you. That's sexual tension, not this. This is emotional porn. That was really good. Very good. I actually think I may, if I went to my actually went to my phone, I'd probably have that somewhere. I have a lot done. more. Oh, do you want to just... I could take a break. You could just read for a while. <laughs> this is actually a quote of A talking to his therapist um, about... Ooh, I can't even talk about that. It's too spoilery, damn it. All right, I can't do that one. All right, this next quote, and it's, it's going to be the second to last quote I do, is actually more... Um, personal than actually anything that's uh, great or stand out about the book. I'm going to read it and then I'll explain it. Uh, video recording again. Nev and A sitting at the computer thinking deeply for very long. Uh, A suddenly his chin dispensing with the support of his right hand snaps his fingers and says, use the rubber chicken with a pulley in the middle. Nev does some clicking. They stare at the screen expectant. Ecstasy ensues. Yay, I'm a mighty pirate. Did you catch that reference? No. Did you do that? I, I read that part, and I couldn't. Like, it just didn't make any sense to me. Um, owing much to my friend Don, um, when I like, were, when I was in high school, probably, um, he was big into like a you know a handful of different computer games, and one of them was Monkey Island. I don't know if you ever heard of it. it that sounds familiar. Um, yeah, after my furious, blisteringly fast internet research, it is a, a game called Monkey Island, which I don't know the exact date, but we're talking early to mid-90s was available. And one of the things I remember uh, my friends being super entertained about was that I think at some point there's a bridge that's out, and the only way to get across it is there's like a rope, but you got to figure out how to get across the rope. And they and one of the things that's available to you is a rubber chicken that's got a pulley in the middle of it, and you use that, I think, to get across the bridge or something. So it was like this gigantic nerdy callback to a game that came out like two decades ago that no one's ever going to catch the reference. So one thing we didn't talk about is that's actually the time frame that it took place during. And I'm not sure what the significance is to that in the book. <laughs> well, no? But usually when yeah. something's written as a, you know, I say a period piece because, you know, it was the 90s. <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> well, but you, you, you get yeah. what I'm saying, right? Usually there's a good reason because there are historical events that have to happen through the course of the book or something along those lines. And this one, it was mid-90s. And unless there is a sequel, which uh, I assumed we'd talk about and we didn't, there's definitely potential for a sequel. Numerous sequels, maybe a prequel or two. Mm -hmm. The time frame doesn't necessarily lend itself to make any particular sense to the book i mean yeah most of the book is pretty um it's not very reliant on time um and i took that little you know part and then the part about uh the dog is just like like the dog not answering the phone because it's a dog is just being like you know some part uh character development some part just like you know kind of like lightening up the mood and stuff um but i liked it it was just like an entertaining kind of aside that's how I liked it, how I thought about it. Yes. Are you all quoted out? Did you have one more? Got one final quote. Ready for this bad boy? Totally ready. Um, at some part of the book, uh, and it's going to be difficult to explain because it, it wanders into the area of spoilers, 
um, they're talking about the concept of like, a, um, like objectively there being like a greatest lover in the world. And, uh, the quote is, uh, the greatest lover is only one of the two, no matter how well he does, he'll never be fully requited, which is a perspective that I never really thought of is like, if you're in an awesome relationship, it's not necessarily an equal amount getting put in. So <laughs> that's kind of sad in a way. If there's like the greatest lover can't feel love as much as they can give it. Yeah, Rob. And we all know that Rob is the greatest lover. So I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> let's 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 all have a moment of silence for, for Rob and his suffering that he goes through. The that's, unrequited really, love. Yeah. that's really why it took us this long to record the episode. I read the book a long time ago. I just can't get over you my just, sadness about it. just been curled up in a ball <laughs> crying because no one can ever love you the way you love them. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> you want to wrap it up? Yeah, I, um, there, there is so much to say about this book and Rob and I have now had several asides about the book that we couldn't, you know, that we've been like, all right, we gotta take this off here so we can talk about this. Um, this is Cantero's debut, um, at least in English. Um, and he is a very solid writer. One thought that I had about why you liked, um, A's journal entries so much is that they were written better than the rest of the book, I thought which is kind of weird. And I understand that people don't read how they speak, but he was far more eloquent and clever whenever he was writing in his journal than he was when he was having a conversation with anybody, <laughs> which I think is hmm. why those were the most enjoyable parts. Cause I found myself in the same that I like those parts better than anything else. Um, I don't know that this book needed the multiple angles of view on everything that happened for me. It's what made it a little, um, I don't want to say hard to get through. You know, there are some parts where I was like, oh, God damn it. Another dream diary. Great. Another video from a hardware store. Great. Another, you know, where I just wanted to get back to what was going on and have it told to me in a in a more traditional format. Some books benefit from it. For me, this one didn't. Um, that being said, the book is just a hot mess of shit going on all throughout. But it's warranted when you get to the, the, the meat of the story, when you get to the reasons that we're actually reading this as a book, which um, obviously probably have a lot to do with these annual gatherings and who Ambrose was and all that stuff that we kind of hinted at and never really came out and, and explained. Um, all in all, super, super interesting story that opened up. Uh, it, it had echoes of um, the raw shark texts in the way that it hinted at other stories that were there and those stories were as interesting or in some cases more interesting than what was going on in the actual text and whenever somebody can create a much bigger world that you really want to find out more about there's the frustration that you don't but also there's that kind of feeling at least in the back of my mind that i'm, I'm thrilled with the fact that I, I want to find out more about it there's just this the sense of potential discovery at some point um, that, that really lends itself to making a book better for me, even if it's a little frustrating at the time that, you know, it could be, we never find out more could be two years. I, I don't know. So, uh, God, it's so tough because like I said, there are so many elements I found not necessary, but I really, really like the big story so much. And, and even the bigger story that we may get some point. Um, oof. Uh, I should let you go first. It would give me more time to think about this. I will go four stars on this one. Minus one full star for journal entries. <laughs> Dream journal entries. 
I thought you were going to go lower than that, so that's good. There was so much good. Yeah. And there was some bad. So. Um, yeah, I'm just going to start out by saying the story is damn awesome. And um, while the delivery method could seem a little bit cumbersome uh, or distracting or disjointed because it's different mediums, for me, I thought it all kind of made sense in the overall um, once you got to the end of the story, looking back on it, it makes sense it was delivered that way. Um, even though in the moment it might have been kind of just kind of like, oh man, just write it down or whatever. Um, which I didn't really even feel, but having read some of the reviews on Amazon and stuff, uh, Livius is not the only person that had a little bit of trouble overcoming their, um, you know, not enjoying that too much. Uh, that being said, a lot of stuff going on. There's the ghost stuff, there's the crypt things there's this secret society um a haunted house the protagonists that you know the longer that we get to know them the more we really don't know anything about them or very little anyway and um it's all just this giant pile of like intrigue and one of the great things about it which may or may not have been cut out depending on how i um choose to use our our asides that we uh we talked about spoilery stuff during this um is that there's different levels of, of explanation for things. Some things might be supernatural. Some might be very mundane. And it's not until we reveal what actually happened that we understand what was truly supernatural and what was truly, like, maybe not so much. And that was really cool. There was a real realistic approach to it. You know, some stuff just had a simple explanation or, you know, um, didn't really mean that much. The thing that Livia said about the house not having the, the, the dark cloud over it is one of the most profound parts of the story, if you ask me, is like typically when you have a ghost story or a haunted house situation or something like that, you try your hardest to make the house this like entity of its own. And in like a very small, you know, quote, he kind of stripped all of that away. So um, it just added more reality to it, which I thought was great. Overall, um, I don't know, start to finish. It was pretty awesome. There was a lot of humor in there. We didn't mention that, but there was like a lots of little bits of humor. That's why I tried to sprinkle some of those quotes in there. A lot of X Files talk, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> um, which Livius will have to talk about X Files. I'm going to try and remember to bring that up in a little bit. Um, but yeah, the damn the story was just really entertaining, and, and it really kept you going throughout the whole thing. Um, I liked it a lot, and this is going to be one of those rare occasions where I score a book higher than Livius. I'm going straight up five stars on this. Very nice. Reminded me a little bit that um, maybe we don't read enough. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I know that there's a lot of stuff that gets translated, but when you really look at it, I think that there are probably some foreign gems that we'll never have the opportunity to read. But like Arturo Perez Reverte, mm-hmm. um, his books were very different than what we're used to, as is this book. So, you know, Cantero's from Spain. Uh, Reverte was South American, or is he from Spain, too? Oh, I think he's, he's from Spain. Is he? Yeah. Maybe we just need to read more Spanish fiction. Dude, that's true, because that book Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafon, uh-huh. he's also a Spanish author. Dude, bienvenidos a bucht. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Can I say that I also think it's cool that... <laughs> I can't get over. <laughs> I can't get over the the Spanish introduction to our podcast. 
I'm telling you, there are times where I really think we don't need a Adam Otten anymore. I can do this. <laughs> we can mock our own podcast. Um, the thing, and you mentioned it a, a, a little bit in your thing, because we weren't very clear. So I'll say it right now. There's a ghost, right? And whenever there's a ghost in a book, you think it's a ghost story. It's not a fucking ghost story. It's true. Which is, again, one of the cool things. Like, the house isn't real ominous. You know, there's a ghost. But the ghost isn't that big of a deal. <laughs> like, you know, some yeah. good stuff there. So. <laughs> so I originally thought, oh, this is a ghost story. It'd be perfect for uh, for October. And that's why I'd said before. Well, it's kind of a ghost story <laughs> after reading it. So we'll, we'll, we'll throw it in the horror category because there is a ghost. And supernatural elephants. <laughs> There's some supernatural extraterrestrials in this book. I gotta tell you, though, if you saw pictures of this guy, if you looked up Edgar Cantero, he has, like, all these dorky-ass haircuts. And yeah. if we saw it, we wouldn't have read him, because he just looks like a tool. Did he look like a Spanish hipster? He looks like un tool, however you say tool in Spanish. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So, moving on. We're done, right? We're wrapped on that? Uh, yeah. But I, I can I talk about X Files for a minute? Uh, you could listen. Your show is yours, sir. All right. Um, you ever watched X Files? I I did. I watched. Uh, I wasn't uh, religious. Like I haven't seen all of them, but I did watch pretty regularly. Now here's my here's here's the more important question. Did you ever watch the series Twin Peaks? I tried to watch Twin Peaks recently. By recently, I mean it was probably two or three years ago. I think I got about three episodes in, four episodes in. And there's an episode where this woman is just screaming for like five minutes. And I was like, I'm so done. With this. <laughs> All right. Um, I recently watched the series just, you know, on a lark because I'd always heard good things about it. And yeah, it's really weird. But um, at the end of it, I kind of really liked it. Mm -hmm. um, there was the recent announcement that Showtime has picked up Twin Peaks again. No, really? Yeah. Did you hear this? My whole goddamn Facebook feed for a day was oh. nothing but Twin Peaks. <laughs> you're being sarcastic. <laughs> Facebook, here's what you need to introduce. All the things you're introducing, you need to introduce a I don't want to hear about this topic button. That would be amazing. Think about that. If you could erase right now, or well, if I could erase right now, Twin Peaks and Ebola from my Facebook feed, <laughs> I would actually like Facebook again. <laughs> yeah, for me it would be sports. The other thing I wish I could erase, and because and, here's the thing. You watch Twin Peaks. I didn't see you post once on Facebook that you watch Twin Peaks. But there are people that think that they need to let the world know that they just got done watching The Wire, which has been off TV for like six years. <laughs> and I understand that it's a big deal to them because I do binge watch series. You know what I mean, though, right? Every time I see one of those posts, I'm like, why does any why does anybody think that anybody else fucking cares that you just now caught up to 2009? Livius, you're talking about Richard Thomas, aren't you? Hey, no, not specifically. <laughs> Richard, no, I honestly I don't I don't think trying to I don't want to name names right now. I have two in mind. <laughs> Richard Thomas is honestly not one of them because I'd name Richard, you know that. Um I did. But yeah, so so let's I know that this is a, a podcast where we review books, but Facebook, take some advice. <laughs> The I don't want to hear about this topic for the rest of the day button. And somehow, if somebody mentions a TV show with the words just finished <laughs> and the TV show is not from you know, the last 18 months, <laughs> nobody but the fucking person posting it gives a shit. Yeah. 
that's more general advice for everybody. Yeah, but you know, people won't take the advice. But Facebook could fix. You know, listen, let's face it. Everyone's moving to LO, right? No, they're not. <laughs> they're not. But one day, one day, people are going to move away from Facebook. It's only a matter of time. You know that the the um, there is a significant decrease in youngsters, and I don't remember what it was, but teenagers signing up for Facebook because people like my mother have ruined Facebook for people. The the, the as the older <laughs> demographic gets into it, the younger. So that the younger people, they're all going to Tumblr, I think. Yeah, because you can so post Facebook, boobs on Tumblr. Facebook has a, a limited lifespan, but they could improve it by me not having to hear about Ebola. All right, you're just trying to distract from my X-Files and Twin Peaks talk, aren't you? Did you just finish watching X-Files and tell the whole world about it? <laughs> no, I was <laughs> I talking... just finished this brilliant show that ended in 1989. No, no, please, let's talk about the X-Files. I'm just going to edit it out and talk as if you just didn't go on that My rant. entire rant is gone from this podcast. <laughs> gone to history. Although I will say that um, like two years from now, we're gonna someone's going to listen to this episode and be like, oh yeah, I remember Ello was a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh I was talking to this friend of mine who's a huge, huge Twin Peaks enthusiast uh, that I work with. And I was asking him what he thought about the the reboot, or not reboot, but like the Showtime picking up Twin Peaks for for new episodes. And he was excited about it. And uh, we were talking about how I had recently just watched, I just finished the series. And um, he started talking about how, he started talking about X-Files. And something that I wasn't aware of is that um, one of the main creators of of Twin Peaks, there's uh, obviously David Lynch, but there's the other dude, um, was one of the main guys for X-Files, at least in the beginning. I don't know if it was for the full run or not. Mm. And um, he he also, a lot of the, the cast of the first couple seasons of the X-Files were people that were from Twin Peaks. And in Twin Peaks, David Duchovny plays an FBI agent. Are you aware of this? No, I apparently didn't get that far. Yeah, so um, what that all means is, like, you can see not necessarily, like, an intentional continuation, but, like, really, really obvious parallels between where Twin Peaks left off and, like, some of things that happens with characters in the first couple seasons of X-Files. He told me that, and it blew my mind. Hmm. I did consider giving X I'm sorry, giving Twin Peaks another try just because of the reboot. It just it, it was really goddamn dated, right? Like everything about that show was dated when you watched it. Yeah, but the good parts are so good. That's what it's one of those where it's like, I mean, it's David Lynch. You got to like deal through some like crazy shit, but the good parts are just really good. Throw some David Lynch movies out at me. He did Fight Club, right? No, it's Fincher. Fincher. Okay. So what did Lynch do? He did like Mulholland Drive and what Blue Velvet. He did all the weird stuff. Like He did all the movies I didn't understand. Yeah. Where I got done watching it and I didn't think I watched a movie. I just watched a series of images. Was yeah. That... Yeah. Okay. All right. Got it. Um, so yeah, I just, the X-Files in the book made me think about it in my conversation. There's X-Files. I got Duchovny on the brain lately. So Californication. He's a sexaholic. Californication. Aren't we all? Is it still running? Yeah. I haven't watched it since no, like the no, third season. No, no, I just got done watching this great show. <laughs> but I did just get did done you, watching because it just went off the air probably like three or four months ago. So You need to post about that on Facebook. Yeah, I'm going to go do that right 
I wonder how long it would take. Now, obviously, there are people who listen to this show who I'm friends with on Facebook, but I wonder how long I could get away with posting like really excited comments about shows that went off the air like 10 years ago. Till someone was like, dude, just stop. Nobody cares. I could probably go on forever. Pretty I'd much. probably get a lot of likes. Yeah, you would. Because they'd be like, oh, he is like me. They don't know that you're making fun of them. God. Yeah. Oh, you watch anything else lately other than Twin Peaks? Yeah, I'd seen the trailer for this movie, and I'd forgotten about it a little bit, and it came back, and I forgot about it again. But I eventually did see um, A Walk Amongst the Tombstones, which is an adaptation of what is Lawrence Block, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I think a book of the same name, um, which uh, stars Liam Neeson, and it's about a guy who uh, is a former police officer who kind of... Uh, he does kind of unofficial private detective work um, for does people... What would Keaton say? Does he have a certain set of skills? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, outside of being Liam Neeson, yes, I think he falls into the Keaton category for that. Um, and it's just like you know, he gets uh, he gets hired to look after or to, to try and find the people who kidnapped a drug dealer's wife. And it's pretty, it's damn dark, but it was a really, really good movie. I um. There's one series I read from Lawrence Block. It was the Hitman series, and by it was I don't know three books maybe that I really enjoyed. I, I wanted to read some of his other stuff, but a lot of it is serialized, you know, where it's fifteen sure. twenty books. So I just never got around to going back. And at this point in my life, I probably won't. Um, but uh, Lawrence Block, the stuff I read from him is very good, and it's hard to argue with a guy who's been doing it for that long, you know. But yeah, definitely something I may have to uh, may have to check out. Not this month though, because this month I'm all about the horror. Yeah, what did you watch? I watch Horns, which I have been ridiculously excited about. I was explaining to a coworker um, the the day I found out it was available to, to, to watch mm-hmm. that um, Horns is probably one of my favorite books I've read in the last ten years. That's big. That's a lot of fucking books, man. <laughs> so yeah. I loved Horns for a lot of the same reasons I like this this book that we just read, Supernatural um, Enhancements. It, it's just weird enough. But here's the problem. As I was watching it, knowing full well the story and how it ends and the things that happen, I'm just basically watching it you know, visualized. And, and I, there are probably about four or five distinct parts in the movie where I could picture somebody who didn't read the book. Like kind of throwing their hands up in the air and going, fuck this, I'm done with this movie. <laughs> so I don't know that it's going to do real well with the general audience. Um, but I, I definitely, if you want something a little offbeat and weird, horns. The funny thing is I remember when that book came out and the hype around it because Joe Hill is mm-hmm. uh, Stephen King's son and everything, and I was like so close to reading it, and for whatever reason I didn't. Yeah, because it, it's really, really weird for, for people who don't know. If you're listening to the show, I'd have to imagine you have some idea of what Horns is. Um, it, it's about a, a guy who his girlfriend is murdered. He's the prime suspect. Um, it's it, pretty clear throughout the book and the movie that he's not the one that did it. But that's who the police and everybody in the little town thinks did it. And he does some things. And the next morning he wakes up and horns are growing out of his head, which is weird enough. <laughs> But now people can't lie and are very uninhibited around him. So they will just tell him whatever's on their mind, which, again, is really weird because horns don't necessarily cause that to happen. Like, it's just a, right. it, it's a collection of weird things. 
but after he's done freaking out about the big ass horns growing out of his head, um, he realizes that he can use this newfound ability to to capture the 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 person that killed his the, the love of his life. So it's like supernatural detective kind of like I don't even know how to explain this movie to someone because you can't give it a, a, a justified synopsis where someone would be like that sounds great. No matter how you explain it, it sounds really stupid, <laughs> but it's really good. So and and starring Harry Potter. Yeah, I thought that guy looked familiar. Yeah, it's like all he's done, right? Like he's been Harry Potter and Iggy Parish. Well, he's done a lot of like Broadway um, plays and stuff like that. Oh yeah, because lots of people see that. Stupid. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, what it is, I guess. But no, listen, dude, I, I totally have it lined up. So I'm only going to watch horror movies um, this weekend. I'm probably, I may even go see Dracula Unbound. Yeah, I've heard some bad stuff about that movie. You know what? I expected it to be terrible. I still got to see it. <laughs> um. But, but, I have Night of the Comet in queue. Ooh. Are you familiar? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's in queue, which is kind of horror, right? It's kind of post-apocalyptic. Yeah. Kind of. Um, but I just, I have 10 minutes left, according to the Kindle. I'm reading a Richard Lehman book that I've never read before. All right. There are like four that I haven't read because after he died, I started buying them from from England. I think we've had this conversation on the podcast. And uh, my girlfriend had actually said, listen, stop buying the books. Wait for them to come out here because if not, in like a month, you'll be done and there will never be any Richard Lehman for you. Oh, right. Yeah, you're rationing them out. Yep. So now I'm piecemealing them out. It's like one every 18 to 24 months. So I decided to finally dig into Once Upon a Halloween and... uh, Rob, I don't understand how you haven't read it lately. We had this conversation the other night. The next book we read might be our first throwback episode where we go back like 20-ish years and, and read a layman book. Maybe. Yeah, well, yeah. everybody who's listened long enough knows that Livia says, we need to read this book, and I say, okay. I love how this works. I sent him a message the other day about a book that's coming out early next month or whatever. I was like, I want to read this. And Rob's answer was exactly that. Okay. Because he's never read a Jonathan Carroll either, which I'm still stunned about. I think as time goes on, the listeners, I hope at least, will understand that Livius is the more well-read one. And I'm just the guy that knows how to edit audio. (laughs) No, but see, here's the whole thing. I think a lot of times you are more insightful about the... I, I think this is the problem. I think that I take this podcast, the reviewing portion, less seriously than you do. Because I read the books and I try to read them as entertainment and then reflect on what I read. Yeah. I honestly think that as you're reading them, you are literally thinking about podcast points. Sure. Absolutely. I am. Yeah. See, and, and I'm very, I mean, there are times where something happens where I make a note and I go, I got to mention this. I highlight it. I, I type in a little note on the Kindle. But more often than not, I, a lot of times I have less quotes because I, I, it's not that I forget I'm reading here for the podcast. I'm reading to read. And then when I'm done, I'm like, all right, what did I think about this? What kind of things do I want to talk about? So I think that you come across as more insightful because you work more at the review portion than I do. More actively, I guess I should say. Except for the books that I recommend that you don't like or don't want to read. Then you have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) Dude, you've recommended, like, I think, so we're 220 episodes. 
Yeah, we've I think you reviewed, recommended four books. <laughs> we've reviewed 126 books before today. Okay. So, and I think you've recommended four of them. <laughs> I mean, like a, I recommend, because there's things where, you know, you go, hey, so-and-so, you know, who we've done stuff with on the podcast or who we've talked about as a book coming out. And I don't even consider that a recommendation on your end. That's kind of a... Like, a, hey, know, this is this is available. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, hey, you know, we, we, we both had talked about wanting to review this person kind of thing, so... Yep. But yes, read some Richard Lehman. And, and, and I'm not going to have time to squeeze this in because I'm probably going to read Muerte con Carne, which came up in our, uh, our last podcast. Yep. Well, here's the thing. So, I, Shane, great interview. If you haven't listened, please go back and listen to, um, to our review of Jackpot and more specifically the interview with Shane McKenzie, which I think is one of the best interviews we've done in a while. But yeah. we haven't done any interviews in a while. So it is technically the best regardless. <laughs> the best and only review interview. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he talked about Morte con Carne. It was something that um, we had considered reviewing at one point. It was near the top of the list and for some reason got bumped. Um, but I was talking to Frank Edler, who hosts his own podcast, Books, Beer, and Bullshit. And uh, he had said, ah, you know, it was awesome. You guys had, had Shane on, blah, blah, blah. And, and he said, dude, I can't believe you haven't read Morte con Carne. So I go, yeah, you know, I've seen a lot about it and blah, blah, blah. And there's a short film and I, I should pull up the messages. Frank Edler could not say enough good things about Muerte con Carne. So I, I bought it and I'm going to try to squeeze it in in between reviews here. So there might be a mini review coming, solo mini review of Muerte con Carne coming up soon. It fits the horror thing. Hey, speaking of the previous episode, did you listen to the very end of the episode? <laughs> I did. That was some very clever editing on your on your part. Because <laughs> that was like true editing. That wasn't like you cut out a bunch of like us just bumbling our words and stuff. Like you made a whole different conversation happen. Yeah, I took parts from like three different parts of the episode and some stuff that I cut out, and I just strung them together to make it look like uh, you said some gross things. In the future, can you ma- do that so it makes me sound like a sensitive human being? Can you pull that off? I mean, I can try. There's only so much. There's <laughs> <laughs> There's so little material. There's so little. When we're material. done re- recording, I'm just gonna have you at, like say some keywords like hugs and uh, compassion oh. and things like that. But at any rate, dude, the other thing, and I know we're off anthologies for a bit, but um, and this is completely unrelated, <laughs> just kind of in the horror genre, the state of horror anthologies. You've heard of them, right? Yeah. Oh, the where they're locate their different location. They're horror anthologies that are location centric. Yes. So yeah. there's an Illinois one, which I know that we had talked about not doing anthology. I was like, how did we not do the Illinois horror one? There could be some there could be something happening in your backyard. It could be totally like Boys Town horror. <laughs> which is just me like lost and having to ask for directions to your apartment. It's like it's like a four page story for the terror. <laughs> just um, tripping over four loco cans and Yeah, exactly. D- dildos. <laughs> But I mentioned Frank Edler, which is what brought this brought this to mind. But he is in the first two, which are Illinois and New Jersey. New Jersey, where he's from. And Illinois, I don't know how he got into because he's definitely not from Illinois. Nor do I have any reason to believe he's ever been in Illinois. Do we Do we have any, are any of our people in there besides Frank? Dude, none of our people are in <laughs> a horror book in Illinois. I don't understand. Like Richard Thomas, why aren't you in this? Yeah, whatever. I mean, I, that's, that's who I would have expected. I mean, he was... Of our of our Illinois, you know, stronghold of of authors, he would be the one that I would suspect. Well, he's the one. He's the one that does like horror, like Chris Deal. He mm, writes yeah. a lot more literary kind of you know, dark and noiry stuff, but it's not horror. Yeah, 
but I don't understand. Like flowers for Jessica. All you have to do is just say like this is in Peoria. I don't get it. But anyway. <laughs> State of Horror, Illinois and New Jersey are out. Good friend of the show, Frank Edler, making an appearance in both of them because the guy I don't think wrote a story until like, I don't know, six months ago and now he's been published like eighteen times. So Maybe he's got his own collection of shorts, right? Yes, he does. But yeah, but okay. He's got his own collection of shorts. And let's be fair, anybody can self publish. Look 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 at what we did, right? Yeah. Brilliant yeah. right? He's been published by other people, which is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. We can't say that. No, we can't. But there are 26 authors that could say they were published by other people because of us. That's that's literally true. (laughs) See? There you go. (laughs) What else is going on in the world? Um, I I don't know. This might be a touchy subject. Not necessarily because we know anybody in this scene or care about anybody in this scene, but like alt-lit... may finally have had something interesting come about because of it. Dude, this is the... What's the guy's name? Tao Lin. Yeah. Okay. I don't understand. That's Dennis Rodman's buddy, right? The guy from, <laughs> from Korea? <laughs> no, he's like a... He's like a young like writer. Alright, see, now that makes a lot more sense. Because I'm trying to think, like, if... A dictator... <laughs> <laughs> from an Asian country wrote a book a literature book how did we not remember about, about internet culture about whatever I have no idea what this is about all I know is that a lot of people are mad about something and I did actually do a little bit of research on it just enough to make me sick to my stomach but. yeah well all I'm going to say is probably not every alt-lit author is a rapist. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, you would think from reading some of these the, these posts, though, that they all are. Like, that's, yeah. you know, that you can just arrest a catalog of, of writers just based on... I mean, there's there's probably a lot of offenses that they've actually, you know, committed. But not all of them are rapists. Some of them probably are. Yeah, that's probably fair. And that's all we should probably say about that, right? Yeah, because <laughs> I, I could wind up being a, a fucking rapist apologist or something. <laughs> but I did. What this did was like, um, so I've always kind of, I've seen people talk about alt-lit. And it's one of those things that I just never cared enough to really know what it was. Um, I did post a funny comment on something on Facebook once where I said I looked up alt-lit on Wikipedia and it redirected me to the article for not trying. Um, I remember that. Really proud of myself for that one, but this whole Tao Lin and uh, Stephen Tully Dirk's uh, controversy about like rape allegations—we'll leave it at that—led um, me to actually try and find out what alt lit actually is de- defined as. And uh, do you mind if I read the definition I found? I don't mind one bit. Alternative literature, often styled as alt-lit or alt-lit, is the term used to describe a particular literature community which publishes and or draws its motif from the internet, internet culture, and, quote, a population of people that are connected with one another through their interest in the online publishing world, unquote. It includes various, it includes various forms of prose, poetry, and news, new media. That whole middle part that you read where it's like draws from the internet, all I pictured was a book filled with fucking LOLs 
<laughs> you know, and IMOs, and it just sounds fucking horrible. Do you think it's as horrible as it sounds? Um, I don't think that we've read anything that's alt-lit, although in my research, it turns out that there are some people that we've dealt with that, that are known for publishing alt-lit, no, most notably Lazy Fascist. And see... <laughs> So from that definition, because if you said to me Altlet before, and you said, hey, did we read anything that's Altlet, which I would take to be alternative literature, yep, um, I, I, lazy fascist titles would come to mind, like kind of weird, different, um, Broken Piano for President right. is probably what I would first throw out there as Altlet. But I don't know that the stuff we've read from Lazy Fascist fits that definition that you read. Yeah, I don't think anything that we've read from Lazy Fascist. Um, honestly, what I think about is like um, the first thing I think of is the movie Scott Pilgrim. That is all lit, but more encompassing. Like, like pretty much the Scott Pilgrim movie is like a, a love letter to video game culture. So. I kind of think of it in that framework, but instead of video games, it's like the online experience, which probably means a lot of social media and like Reddit and shit like that. Reddit, the podcast, (laughs) which to me means that it's probably boring as shit because I can only imagine somebody whose life is wrapped up in Reddit, not our Reddit, the other Reddit, (laughs) the inferior Reddit, 18 hours a day in front of their computer trying to be clever. Um, It's really, I mean, like. Based on this definition, I imagine alt-lit is pretty much everything you hate in the world. (laughs) Because, and then the part that really confusing is a population of people that are connected with one another through their interests in online publishing world. Um, If that's their inspiration, it's a bunch of people online talking about publishing online and writing about publishing online. Right? Am I going to write a story about writing a story that I'm going to publish online? All right. Fuck, man. I think we need to read an alt-lit book. Fuck, why did we do this? (laughs) Just to understand. Well, seriously, because now here's the thing. It's a big deal in the news. I joked a little bit about that. I knew the name, and I knew that when his book came out, the guy was a pretty big deal. We talked briefly about reviewing um, one of his books. I don't know if it was his debut book or the one that, you know, is the center of this controversy. Mm -hmm. But it, it came up that, hey, this guy's making kind of a splash. You know, but so I don't know now that all the writers are rapists that they're going to sell a lot more books, <laughs> but, you know, but I don't know. I mean, if it's going to be a big genre, then it's probably something we should, we should have an intro to Altlet that just, oh, all, God. That, wait, wait, it's all about like roofies and <laughs> <laughs> coercing sex out of women oh man the beginning of the episode we could play that song by sublime date rape yes exactly yeah you know what i don't know like i just worry if we do something like that it's just going to be something where we're going into a book knowing we're going to hate it like i know that we went into the 50 shades of gray basically we we reviewed 50 shades of gray so we would have a legitimate reason to shit talk it but i don't really think we need to go through that kind of like you know, process to legitimately should talk all this. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't sound interesting. I guess, you know what, let's monitor it. If it really becomes a thing, then you know what, it's our job as reviewers to, to bring it to the people. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. 
Um, and, and until like then, we'll just we'll just read um, stuff that might be rapey in in its text, but that we don't think the authors actually do in practice. <laughs> there we go. All right. Um, we don't know what the next book is, right? We kind of talked about a little bit, maybe a Richard Layman book. We have some other things in the hopper, but I guarantee you it will fall into maybe loosely, but into the the horror genre. Yeah, we got to, I mean, this was kind of a ghost story, but um, it doesn't really meet the the strong criteria for being a freaky book for, for booked Tober. So um, yeah, we got to ramp it up if we can. We might have to do that throwback. We might. If we do the throwback, I will tease it now for any Richard Lehman fans. It will be Night in the Lonesome October, my favorite Lehman book. There it is. Rob, have I ever told you how in every Lehman book there is a particularly, I was going to say good, it's not always a good reason, but there's a reason for a woman to be naked for extended periods of time in almost <laughs> every Richard Lehman book. I'm sold. Let's do this. Throwback time. Dude, to, to give you to give you some scope, there's a there's a he's he's written he's like close friends with Dean Koontz. He did some. Uh, there's a book he did. It's called. Damn it. I don't remember what it's called. I didn't do my research for this. I think it's it's Jack Ketchum, Richard Layman, and Edward Lee. And it's it's three novellas, but they all start like they were all given the exact same premise, and then these three like mega horror writers all had to write a story based on this premise. It's one of the ones I'm holding off on reading. So, like I said, there's there's a few Richard Layman books I haven't read. That one I have in its physical form, which you know how weird that is because it's not signed or anything. Just sitting, waiting for me to read it. All right. Did I totally... You didn't hear a word I said because you're looking at the link I sent you, right? What? No, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Enthusiasm for your spoken comment. Mm-hmm. I was actually having a little technical difficulty, so I did space out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But um, Before we go, um, kind of on a sadder note, we do have an installment of Words I View. It's true, we do. Um, the last Words I View that we did post was uh, that long, <laughs> that really long, like 20-minute uh, uh, pledge drive episode of Words I View, which was pretty long but i think they kind of got there it was like the david foster wallace approach of like you know you have to experience it in the real the reality way um but you know definitely funny in moments uh did you ever get your bags from that no uh no maybe we'll find out why yeah maybe Welcome to Words Eye View. I'm your host, Malik Timbali, and normally we take you through the world of books through the eyes of words. Our recent pledge drive was very successful. In fact, our most successful yet. Unfortunately, public broadcast radio intern Gene Teenman embezzled all of the money. We're currently working with the police in order to try to get these funds back from Gene Teeman, who has, we're being told, fled the country. It saddens us here at Public Broadcast Radio that even after all of your support, we are going to have to close our doors temporarily. We want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your 
kindness and generosity that was so dastardly taken away from you and from everyone by that evil, evil Gene Teenman. After doing some research on the internet about Gene Teenman, I discovered that he likes football, skateboarding, surfing, and apparently is currently dating Gillian Flynn. For those of you who have seen the Gone Girl movie, know that you're supporting Gene Teenman, the man who robbed you of hours and hours of commercial-free, interruption-free programming every week. We begin a sad transition here at Public Broadcast Radio as we close our doors for the first time in over 50 years. And, uh, and we try something new. I want to thank Rob Olson and Livius Nedden for allowing us on their program for these several weeks. We now return you to Booked. Keep reading. We hate to end shows on a downer, but man, Malik Tambali uh, giving his uh, his fond farewell um, towards iView and uh, and and to booked uh, due to some very very unfortunate um, circumstances. That Gene Teenman, I don't know if anybody caught that or has been paying attention to the continuity of things, but Gene Teenman, also the person who um, stole Gillian Flynn, Flynn, Gillian Flynn. Away from Skip Papersley, our our booked news correspondent. So, uh, this this guy is just a dastardly fellow. I have a theory. Can I share my theory with you? Yeah. And this is definitely not not for the podcast to face off, but you know, this all happens with words I view, and we haven't really heard much from A. Adam Otten, have we? Oh. Now that guy's a master fucking disguise man. I mean, you hear these things he sends in, yeah. right? I think he may be the one. Do you think he's actual Gene Teenman? Listen, he lives close enough to Chicago where Jillian Flynn lives. He's only like an hour-ish away, right? That's a good point. All of a sudden, all this money's gone from, from a worthy cause. He has all this crazy money just throwing pies around like they're fucking free. That's true. Like, he did send... Yeah. All right, can we talk about the, the email we recently got from him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Well, in the last episode, um, I did quite the amount of bitching about how Livius got a pie and I didn't. Did I tell you that pie was fucking delicious, by the way? I just don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> you might have mentioned it. It might have come up. Um, and by the way, yeah, I did just have a birthday. You didn't uh, save any of that for my birthday either. So anyway... Um, <laughs> Uh, I got a little something stuck in my mustache still. (laughs) Only if I can... I can't even go there, damn it. Uh, Anyway, uh, so Adam took it to heart, and he he had a a heartfelt response, uh, feeling bad that I didn't get the pie. Or maybe I'm just not reading the sarcasm properly in his email. 
Oh, Rob, now I feel bad, but how could I send you a pie when I don't even know which uh, store is yours? I just had to censor that. Because he did track down Livius at, at his place of business. Um, besides, I've already sent two of those fuckers. What do you think I'm made of pies? If I were, I would have eaten myself many times over by now. Uh, and then he made up a word, autopilatio. <laughs> Get it? It's just goddamn hilarious. To make up for it, I'll be sure to FedEx you a butter-sculpted bust of Kurt Vonnegut or something. Um, so it sounded, it started as a heartfelt apology, but I think he just started getting kind of snarky at the end of it. I, I, the, what I got out of that email is he's not sending me a pie. Yes, that's how I read it, too. <laughs> it, it basically, in capital letters, said, no pie for you. Um, it's like, what kind of apology is that? Just be like, man, I'm sorry, I'm out of pie money. But we know because he's Gene Teeman, he just stole all that fucking pledge drive money now. Yeah. So um, he did remind us that we had something in the book to archives that we have not used from him. And we've, we've made a decision not to because it's no longer timely. Mostly, and, and mostly in, in our defense, because I think when he sent that, he sent it along with like five other clips, like in a span of two days. It got so, lost, man. Yeah, I don't think it would make much sense. Now, maybe maybe it'll go on the book bonus site. Who knows? Also, fuck that guy. I'm going to make a rule. He's not getting anything more until I eat pie. <laughs> He's not going on the podcast again. And then there's that. So um, we're not. You're not the only bitter and jealous one, Livius. Uh, that, that's okay. I'm glad that finally some of my better qualities are rubbing off on you after years of doing this. <laughs> Wait, I'm going to be a bigot apologist soon. I've been trying to get you to see things my way. And we had a conversation recently where I said something and you were like, you were like, yeah. And I was like, there it is. And the seed is planted. (laughs) Maybe it's just like Stockholm syndrome. I'm just identifying with my captor after all these years. Yeah, You know what? Good. Good. You'll be a better person for it. Trust me. Uh, All right. All right. So we're not sure what the next episode is going to bring, but it's, we're going to bring the horror. I can tell you that for sure. It's all horror. It is. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden. Nam Rob Olson, keep reading.